CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. If you think we were... Fuck you then. Who are you to tell me I'm full of shit? The Spindrovsky Show Holiday Special is brought to you in part by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Nothing says the holiday seasons like Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Alderman Raymond Lopez going at it. I want an answer. Well, you're 100% full of shit. Well, fuck you then. That's my hometown. What's well, that? Technically my hometown. It's the town I chose to live in. Anyway, uh, holiday show. I want to start off the holidays by making a confession, D. Um, you know, when you're doing a podcast, it's a very insecure venture. And really every day I wake up dreading going before the microphone. And so I have this ritual uh, that I've been doing for the last year and a half where I go, I look at my wife's full length mirror and I say to myself, all right, I can handle this. And I say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's got the fairest podcast of them all? And every time, D, the mirror mirror comes back and says, well, Benny J, you got the fairest podcast of them all. And I'm like, yeah, I can go conquer the podcast world. Well, D, yesterday something, something happened that was very upsetting for me. I said, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's got the fairest podcast of them all? And the mirror answered back, sorry, Benny J. But it's Rachel and Cody. <laughs> wow. I'm like, no. Yes, indeed. Rachel Jarofsky and Cody Wilkins have the fairest podcast of them all. And it's my pleasure to bring them back to the Ben Jarofsky show. Welcome back, Rachel and Cody. Wow. I am. Sh- I'm sh- I've got no words to that daytime <laughs> Emmy winning soap opera radio play. I mean, Cody, my, all my only words are shout out the mirror. <laughs> We're checking for us and there ain't nobody checking for me. Pod. I appreciate the mirror. Appreciate the mirror is listen is one of one of ten listeners. Right. Thank you, mirror. More than ten. Yes, indeed. Uh, that little bit of inspiration came to me as I was lying in my bed waiting for uh, Dennis to uh, set up the uh, this little conversation. I go, how am I going to introduce this? And so I'm going to introduce it by saying uh, that uh, Rachel and Cody have put together uh, a podcast, Ain't Nobody Checking For Me, which I think uh, I'm the biggest fan you guys have in the entire world. I've listened to every single podcast, and I confessed there's one podcast episode that I've listened to twice. I won't tell you which one that is, but I think you can guess. And uh, like the last one was, I thought the, the last one was your best 
of them all. That's the goal. The latest yeah. should be the greatest. You it's know? true. It's true. Uh, so why don't, uh, Cody, why don't you start by telling everybody what the premise of the podcast is uh, and then, you know, take it from there. Yeah, I, I'd be glad to. The premise of the podcast, really, Rachel and I, on anybody checking for me, I think really dive into this idea of the human being's insatiable desire to be checked for, to be desired. We all, like, are kind of the main character in our own story, and we hope to, you know, exist in a way that folks want to read it and folks want to pay attention to it. And that's a feeling that I think encompasses a lot of different industries and a lot of different activities. And, uh, you know, thanks to sort of Rachel's enthusiasm and her kind of kicking me in the butt and saying, look, man, we, we can't get on stage anymore. Like this is, is slow, uh, for live performance. And I know she told me, she looked me straight in the eye. She said, I know you love the sound of your voice as much as I love the sound of my voice. Let us combine powers. (laughs) Um, but no, it's it's a it's a fantastic opportunity, I think, for us to sit down and, and talk to folks and get some additional perspective on, you know, how people keep their feet moving and find ways to kind of draw attention and and validate themselves inside and outside of their work. So it, it's been great um, just to be involved. Rach. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, not to get all democratic socialist Bernie Sanders, but um <laughs> capitalism has like taught us to chase um, or that we're supposed to exist in this like mythical feeling of um, being, you know, sought after all the time on a professional level. And I think that the goal of the podcast is to reveal that like, no matter where you are in your hustle, everybody is kind of feeling the same way, which is like shit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's very to want more to lust for more on like a financial or, you know, professional, which is very tied in with financial level is um, just human, the human condition. Um, Yeah. I am an adjunct professor. Um, (laughs) Get your real adjunct looking ass. Uh, Psych. I'm not allowed to teach anything but children uh judaism but anyways yeah so i I think we were i was i spent a lot of the summer feeling like down and out like especially because cody and i in a lot of ways were like hustling so hard in the spring and about to take off and we were super excited about things we were going to make together and do this live show in chicago and it you know we had shit happen. We had to change course. And so we did. And I'm personally really happy with the product that we're putting out. Um, even though it's a lot different than, you know, what I thought I would be fueling my creative energy in initially. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I love every part about it. And, and like, uh, it's got a very positive vibration to it. There's so much negativity out there in the universe right now. Uh, the pandemic this year has been utter madness. It's, I just think about a death, 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 Trump, death, death. Uh, that's sort of been the vibration. But you guys such a positive vibration. Even with the opening song, ain't nobody checking for you, for me. And after I hear it, I'm like walking around, ain't nobody checking for me. Shout out Nate, our producer Nate. Yeah, did some magic, you know. That the podcast would not go without Nate. He's he's a music maker by by trade, and I just feel like so much of the podcast is like 
the musical interludes, the little, the mm-hmm. transitions, the this, the that, the, the snappy cuts. And like, you know, me and Cody would <laughs> like, we, we said we would be making it in uh, sound memos or voice memos on right. our iPhones if it was up to us. So, uh, so like, are you conscious of the fact that it's such a, a really uh, positive vibe that you're putting out there? There's no negativity or do you go into it thinking of that? Or is the show just going that direction, Cody? Well, I think it's actually a, a consequence. The positive vibe is a consequence of the energy that Rachel and I like explicitly discussed having for when we created the pod. You know, this was not uh, to Rachel's point of the Western capitalistic pressure to always monetize a thing. We kind of sat down and said, let's make art. Let's play and have fun and talk to our friends and do something that feels like home. And, and I think when we approached it with that mentality and when we come to the table, kind of genuinely curious about people's stories, but also about people's solutions and just excited to hang out and, talk to each other and either meet a new person or chop it up with an old friend, then I think that translates. And it, I mean, I get some cognizant of it now because the feedback has been, wow, this is a comfortable, listen, this feels homie. This feels like homies. This is, that's, that's great. But it's not like, you know, we etched it in stone above the door. It's just a consequence of, of what we're doing, which is, which feels good. Right. Yeah. I also feel like, Cody is a really positive guy. Cody, you got positive dad energy to you, you know? <laughs> you really do. And I I I am like that too, but sometimes I'm like a little bit in my feelings challenge, you know what I mean? <laughs> I think that like my and no no, no in all fairness, people do think I'm positive as well, but I think that when my positivity is met with Cody's positivity. It's just like, yeah, exciting. What we're doing is fun. This is cool. No stress, whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> That's, a close from, from That's Indy making it about her again. Um, I, I think it's, it's, good. it's really good because sometimes it can be hard for me to maintain that sort of bright eyedness when, you know, taking on something creative, I'm always sort of just like smacking myself over the head for not being good enough. So I appreciate that. Like that is just not an energy that has ever existed when I'm hanging with Cody. So it kind of is able to go out the door in a way that um, is new for me for like making something. Um, So, yeah. You know what the show uh, for folks who haven't heard it yet, and I urge everybody to check it out because it really is a, a fun show to listen to. Uh, it's a lot of funny bits in it, it's just totally improv. But the the premise of the show uh, is uh, whether even most successful people uh, at a very young age have moments of doubt. Uh, and uh, they have moments when they're not sure about where they're going or if, or if it's going to work out. And so uh, all the guests sort of confront uh, these moments of doubt. And uh, I think it's kind of a, it, it's reassuring in some ways uh, to hear like, so for instance, uh, last week you had uh, Tiffany Johnson's a very successful director mm-hmm. and uh, done a lot of TV shows. They're very funny. I urge everybody to check it out. I, I mean, I shouldn't say I have a favorite, but that I, I think I already said that was my favorite. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was. 
but this is this is a favorite, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is a favorite of a man who's been a guest before. Right. <laughs> his own Didn't pick his own up. Yeah, no. I, my I actually, okay. My uh, if I had to do a list, which I'm a compulsive list maker, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even in the top three of uh, wow. the, yeah. Uh, and I got to tell you, a shocker. There's a shocker on my list. My top three. And maybe it's just insecurity on my part, Cody, if I could use you as my therapist. You've um, done it before. You've always. used Cody before. <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> well, why didn't I turn to you earlier? Um, that BA will help me a lot. No, all right. So Tiffany Johnson, Courtney, uh, and believe it or not, your high school friend, JR. I don't know. That one just cracks me up. That one. And that, okay, this guy, JR, is a businessman. And um, so, you know, he's not an artist. He's not a storyteller. He's uh, uh, he's not a comedian. He's not funny. But I don't know. There was something about that. You guys dominated that show. And you were making jokes. And he was like a good straight man. So uh, I really enjoyed it. But anyway, going back to my question, Cody, is uh, so like with Tiffany, as successful as she is, uh, she had her moments of doubt, you know, and uh, she had her uncertainties. And even now she has her uncertainties. And she struggles. With it. And there's something reassuring about hearing that even successful people are struggling with life. Yeah, I mean, that or you should ask Cody. Sorry, go ahead, Cody. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. This it's definitely reassuring to hear, I think one of the things I've kind of recognized about this year, I think when the crux of quarantine and isolation and not being able to see family, when the news was very scary, there was a a rallying cry of this idea that you're not alone. Like we're not alone. We're all kind of in this together. And the cynic in me was like, no, we're not in this together. We're just all alone at the same time. Like I don't take any solace in in being alone at the same time. Uh, but the benefit of that unity in isolation is similar to the benefit in the unity of this feeling of not being checked for, which is, you know, there are other folks with whom you can check in and do a temperature check to see if, maybe that you're handling it the right way or if you're kind of utilizing like if you're staying sane and managing yourself well and 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 the you're not alone i think is less in the in this moment you're not by yourself and more in you have human resources and people who you can check on to see whether you're headed the right direction or, or whether you're handling the present moment well and it's so great. I mean, it's I literally ain't nobody checking for me. It's not just for the listeners. I come in to talk to these people and be like, please reset me for this week because yes. as much as I know, I'm kind of like wandering off the beaten path again. So it, it's really great to, to, to be able to do it. It is. And also just good to have like a deadline. It's like, this yeah. is, this is something that we're putting out every week. We record the episodes. We then give notes on it. Now we've also been like plotting and scheming about like marketing strategies, which if anyone wants to do that job for free, uh, anyone <laughs> we would love to outsource. Um, but 
yeah, I, it's, it keeps, I'm someone who needs a schedule. If I don't, I'm not on a schedule, then I will, dark thoughts will come in, um, and take over my brain. And so it's just, it's, it's given me a lot of purpose as a creator. And, you know, I mean, I'm not, there's, I'm not about to risk it all to get up on stage and do an open mic. And there's people who are doing that right now. And I'm just like, fuck that. Not on the health insurance I have, not for the $0.00 I will be paid. Like I would rather get to um, talk out of my ass in this new way. (laughs) Um, For real though. So, so yeah, it's been, I completely agree with Cody. It's like, I need that show just as much as that show needs me. Um, (laughs) That wasn't really what you said though. (laughs) The the other thing I'll say though, really about if we want to talk about positivity in the show, this, this what happens on ain't nobody. It's so different than my standup. I am a dry, like pun filled, cynical, like really can be silly, dark, dark, dark comic. Like I, I will get up on open mics and and, and just go say some wild, kind of twisted stuff. And I think that's because the, at the end of the day, a lot of my artistic goals revolve around impact. Right. And when the world was kind of fine, that was the tool that I used to point to stuff to pay attention to that I thought would make an impact. And now we don't need that. You know, now actually the impact that we want to make is is by putting a dent in some of this grief, you know, and some of this weight. And it's nice to to be impactful in that way. Well, I could tell you guys, uh, see, I'm well aware of Rachel's uh, comic style. Uh, Cody, yours is an introduction. Okay, because I've not been exposed to it uh, for 20 years or whatever. So the way it works, the dynamic, like Rachel will go on riffs and she'll do funny voices and um, it'd be kind of like goofy girl a little bit, unafraid to do that. And then like Cody, you'll come in with these like. Why I don't even know if they're wisecracks or observations. Uh, they're almost like throwaway lines that sneak up on you. Like my all time favorite when they interviewed me, folks, can I just tell you guys this? I quoted a line and they edit their pie. Unlike the Bendra, they actually edit. So me quoting Cody's line got cut out. I don't know why. I, I asked Rachel. Yeah. They yeah. already heard the episode. Not no greatest hits. Rewind. Classic rewind. It was not a classic rewind. It was a new episode. I'm like, they don't need to hear about two, one, maybe one episode before this one. Right. We were on episode three. It was like, it was a great line. What what if nobody heard that episode? Just say it, okay? Just throw my little two cents in there. Anybody, what's the one? I'm not going to say it, and you can't cut it out because you don't edit my podcast. So, um, it was the one where uh, they were interviewing the, the, this this young man Jr., who's a very successful businessman, who went into his father's business, and so uh, Cody goes, "Here I'm laughing at it again," and, and they're like, "Oh my god, it wasn't even that funny when he first said it." Uh, and the line was, "Blink twice if you're didn't want to do it." I you know it just blew the line anyway, Cody. But the, the point is, it was like I wasn't expecting it. It came out of nowhere. Uh, so do you like see that as your role in this is like every now and then throwing in uh, these wisecracks when no one's expecting them? 
Yeah, I mean, I, it is, it's easy to do when really my job is mostly to listen. You know, I think it, Rachel and I, we do some, we do a little, a little prep work. We get some questions together. We make sure we're kind of creating a narrative and doing a good job exploring these people we're talking to. And once they get going, it's kind of shut up, shut up and, and, and listen and, and wise cracks come. I, Rachel said it already. I got real dad, real fatherly energy, especially in the humor department. A lot of dad jokes coming out of me. Um, <laughs> Uh, quick, quick turn of a pun. Uh, oh, that 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 word actually has four definitions. Let me go with the corniest one. And so it's easy to to kind of just dive into it. Um, it's not it's not anything I was assigned, but certainly something I take naturally to. Uh, corny 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 quips on the side. Um, Dad, we have a, I believe in our house in Chicago we have a book called Old Jews Telling Jokes. <laughs> you need to write a book that's old Jews telling other people's jokes <laughs> because that is what the last uh, you do. There's an art to the way you do it um, that I do think there's something there that is sellable. Yes. It's such a great art that it ended up on the cutting floor. Let me remind you of that one. Uh, we already heard this before. Let's just cut this out. Listen, listen. You know, I didn't want to. I didn't. I want. I didn't want it to go to your head. But I guess I'll have to tell you now. The reason that bit got cut is because there are just so many winners. There's so, <laughs> so many winners in that recording. Some had to go. Fun. It's never fun to let go of an all star, but sometimes you just don't have room on the roster. I hate that. I know what Michael Jordan felt like when he got cut from his sophomore team now. You know what I'm saying? Even the great Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Uh, All right. So we talked, you mentioned prep work. So we did a little prep work uh, before we did this interview. We might as well uh, take advantage of that. Uh, Rachel, I said, what's on your mind these days? And the first thing that popped off your mind, which is something that's been on my mind, Donald John Trump, President of the United States, got another month or so left in his term, uh, has been a conservative Republican for his whole entire life. And now here at the end of his tenure as president, either because he's really had a conversion of heart or because he's losing his freaking mind uh, or a combination of both, has turned into Karl Marx. And he has decided that it's in the best interest of America to increase the allowance that people uh, get from the government at this time of high unemployment because of the pandemic from the $600 that Congress passed after months and months of negotiation or weeks and weeks of negotiation, I should say, with no input whatsoever from Donald John Trump uh, to $2,000. I found that mm, bizarrely ironic on many fronts. Rachel, and you shared Uh, My thoughts about that. Take the deep dive. Look, if Donald Trump wants to send me $2,000 with his ugly ass signature on the check, I will take it and I will swiftly deposit what would be mm, two months and I don't know, a week worth of rent money. Like, I'll take that $2,000. I haven't agreed with anything he's done. Also, I will say, I don't know. I mean, this is. He wasn't a, a conservative Republican his whole life. He was actually wasn't Trump actually a lifelong Democrat and then made the switch recently. Well, he was a Democrat, yes, uh, but on economic issues, of course, of course, yes, yeah, he was conservative, and he was the one who was saying uh, that the Central Park Five should be just summarily 
executed with right, no trial or anything. Yes. So it's hard to really give him an ideology, mm-hmm. but I would never think of him as a Bernie Sanders uh, type Democrat. But your point's <laughs> well taken. He was pro-choice. Go ahead. I no, I was it, I thought that it was really funny that after Trump um, uh, tweeted that Pelosi was like, all right, I'm down. Let's take it to the Senate floor. Um, Dad, I know you have a sweet spot for Pelosi, which somehow I have now inherited, um, even though I get treated about it often. Um, but yeah, I'm just like, OK, I'll I don't really care. Now, the issue is, is like he might just be being like an idiot who's just trying to like, like a willful toddler, you know? So it's really hard to say if this could actually, um, like have the Democrats and Trump made a deal in the last four years? No. Are they going to in the last five minutes of his term? Probably not. Am I willing to risk the livelihood of the working class on it? I'm not the one to make that call, but you know, $2,000, I would take it. I would take 2k from D Trump. I I think, unfortunately, a a long time ago, I stopped thinking about the intentions behind Donald Trump's behavior because I imagine they're all just selfish or vindictive. Um, And so when I look at this decision through a similar lens, I see a man who has not only lost the election, uh, but then lost the confirmation of the election and has since seemingly lost the public, you know, tooth and nail support of a lot of the Republican Party to keep pushing for him to overturn the election. So this give everybody $2,000 things looks to me much more like a fuck you to the Republican Party and saying, well, now I'm just going to I, I just feel like he's burning the bridge as uh, that he just crossed. Like he's I feel like he's going to light the way ahead with the fire from the bridge behind him saying let's give everybody $2,000 is more of an attitudinal shift for his strong base Mm -hmm. that their more career political representatives don't want to do uh, or or have been planning to not do that for so long. Now that when they don't do that, or if there's any way that they they don't deliver $2,000, then Donald Trump has just made all of these folks who are about to turn around and vote for Republicans again, but not him, (laughs) pissed off at these Republicans who are unavailable to deliver what their, you know, commander in chief diehard just told them to do. So it looks like to me just a big, like, kind of counterpunch haymaker to his loser friends on the right. I don't, I don't know. I mean, here's what I would say to his base. Like, look, if Donald Trump tried to get you that 2K and then your Republican um, representatives veto uh, his veto, then I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't vote in Georgia. That's just what I'm saying. Maybe you go ahead and sit that one out. Sit that one out. Cody, my take on you and defend yourself uh, or agree with me is that you were never particularly a political person. I could be wrong in that. And you were just quiet about it. Just kept your politics to yourself. But I never thought of you as a political person or as a political comic. Am I right or am I wrong about my uh, assumption about you? I think you're right. I, I was never a political person. I ended up having to work in the political comedy sphere because of my first television job. I was working on a, on a late night show on BET that was kind of a crossover between pop, pop culture and politics. So 
in doing that, I became, I think, a lot more educated on politics and political humor than I would have naturally been inclined to. But no, save for being a uh, volunteer poll judge in twenty in two thousand eight when Barack Obama was running for president, and being thoroughly disappointed by the fact that instead of coming to my polling site in the neighborhood that we lived in together, he went to the one two blocks away at the other school. Um, I, I've not been particularly politically passionate. I do, though, have some existential fears, which is why I've been involved recently, because it's, it's deeper than politics at this point. Mm. What do you mean? Well, you know, uh, let's say, hypothetically, that I had, like, enough millions of dollars that I didn't have to worry about my own income, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I believe, and I'd like to believe, that I would look at the current political landscape uh, or, or pre-election current the pre-election landscape and go, I'm going to make some moral decisions with my vote. I'm going to make some communal decisions with my vote because I'm fine. And I'm going to use that vote to be my representative of like the good I put into the world because otherwise it's out of my hands. <laughs> um, naturally I don't have millions of dollars do still have to worry about money and like also am black. So I do a, probably a a bit more work than just a vote, Mm -hmm. but otherwise nah, say for thinking like I'll be the first black president, which can't be, it's not, it's not an option anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, what about you? Do you view yourself as a political comedian? Uh, comedian. Yeah, I think that, like, I I don't, like, I'm, you know, I'm not in, like, a fucking suit and tie making pundit jokes, you know. That shit is a little too buttoned up for my style. But I think that I'm, like, innately, I'm drawn to, when I do comedy, I'm more drawn to personal narrative. But I think that, like, um, my political views and perspective, like, automatically seep in through that um and then outside of comedy i'm definitely very political um i mean hey it all started back in uh when was that when was uh in in 2000 bush uh who would have that been bush gore i was i was a staunch gore girl um hashtag gore girl uh but yeah i mean i remember i mean hey i am your offspring it's it's there's no way i can't be political right now You're or you know it. for the rest of my life yeah yeah you uh, grew up hearing at least uh, your father going on and on about politics all right the uh the other item of concern at least to rachel love to get cody's uh, views on this <laughs> uh is uh Opening up schools in the middle of a pandemic across the board uh, and requiring teachers to to go to those schools. This is a big issue here in Chicago, your hometown. Neither of you live in Chicago anymore. Uh, right now, for this whole school year, the Chicago public schools have been closed. Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, in Chicago has decided that uh, she's going to open them. I believe in January, some point in January, they're going to be opened voluntarily. So uh, parents do not have to send their children uh, to school, but teachers have to report to school. And if they don't report to school, they will be fired. And the mayor has made that very clear. Uh, and I know, Rachel, would love to hear your thoughts about the whole notion. We, Dennis and I talk a lot on the show about mixed messages 
that are being conveyed constantly in the middle of a pandemic. And no mixed message is <laughs> uh, more mixed than the notion that you cannot spend Christmas with your family because grandma may either be conveying the virus or may be killed by the virus that you're conveying, but it's absolutely okay. We have the epidemiologists, suddenly every mayor knows how to say that word, uh, who have done the scientific studies to show it's safe to go to school. Your thoughts on that, Rachel, and then Cody, you pick it up after that. Oh, like the the proverbial epidemiologist who is just green lighting school openings. Like, first of all, who? Yeah, like I just feel we talk about this dad all this time. Like the science says, like, bitch, which science? Which op-ed are you talking about? Like, there's about a million different forms of sciences going around right now regarding this topic. Like, I, anyway, and it's also just like. I feel like it is the same idea that like there's so well, first I'll say there's just like so many aspects to this whole argument about keeping schools open that annoy me, namely that like the idea, which dad, we completely agree on that teachers should just be these martyrs who fall in line and educate the young lift. If they have to die, they die. Like, no, fuck you. You can go ahead and, and go ahead and die in the school. Like, can you really actually tell me that all of these teachers in all of these schools and all of these old ass buildings that have already been seeped in inequity are going to be Gucci bandana going back into work? Like, Absolutely not. Furthermore, I just recently saw um, Hannah, your other daughter, sent me this. <laughs> My other daughter. Okay. This video on Instagram of like some sort of after school program of a bunch of kids hanging out and just, you know, it looked like, you know, some sort of childcare after school, whatever. And the way that these masks were being worn was just <laughs> such yeah. an aggressive atrocity. Elementary. One I mean, day. chin straps. I mean, none at all. I mean, one kid pulls down his mask to say something to the other. Like, <laughs> I just feel like there is no way to actually make a promise to teachers that their health and safety will be prioritized. And it's also just like, this is coming from a history of not prioritizing the health, safety, and needs of teachers. And furthermore, never prioritizing the inequity of schools. Um, so it's just like, and again, dad, right out of your tool book, you're really going to say that you like, you're all of a sudden caring, giving a shit about school and equity when it means that you have to scream at a teacher to get back in the classroom when they don't feel comfortable. Like, that's bullshit. I just feel like we don't, I'm sorry, but we do not have as a country, the health infrastructure to keep schools open. And that's the issue. So y'all had plenty opportunity to fix that issue and it went unfixed. So don't go scapegoating teachers now. Um, and I should know because this is, I'm in the middle of a dispute about this um, at one of my, as you guys know, I, I um, day job as a Jewish jester for children. And um, you know, at one of my, the, the synagogue is gung ho about in-person Hebrew school. And I'm like, bitch, you guys are not <laughs> essential. Like no way. Yeah. Anyways. I'll get off before I, you know, twist an ankle, <laughs> getting Cody, off my soapbox. Cody, do you agree with her? Or is this one of the instances uh, where you disagree with Rachel? 
I agree with everything Rachel said that I can understand. And I trust the things that I don't understand because I know she knows better than I do. Um, <laughs> and I actually, on this topic, feel like there are a lot of folks who know better than I do. And unfortunately, like a lot of the other things in the United States, I think this decision is largely dictated by dollars and cents. And unfortunately, that's not, in my opinion, a, a sensible way to kind of, that's not a sensible way to operate. Uh, I feel like that's kind of dangerous. Um, but I, I actually, I do feel like I've studied a couple different perspectives on this one. The one that I kind of wrestle with the most is the socialization of children and the importance of the socialization of young children, like how necessary that is. And then especially when we do look at the socioeconomic and racial breakdowns of like child care and essential workers and folks who are able to take care of their kids as opposed to go to work or feed their kids at home as opposed to having them fed at school. Like there are so many intricate and intersecting factors to this that the smartest decision for me to, the smartest thing I can think of is to say, yes, yes, Rachel, you're right. You know, I, I don't even, there's not much else I can, I can put to it uh, except for, you know, my, my condolences to like, parents who would have to make these decisions. I couldn't be happier to not have children right now. You know, I, one of my boys, one of my boys has three kids, seven, five, and one, six, four, and one, something like that. And I remember we spoke in May and he was like beat up and exhausted because he we were on the phone. He said, well, what is, what is homeschooling for a four-year-old? What is, what, how, what am I doing for a seven-year-old after a certain point? Like these kids just want to get to the park, see their friends, play with some blocks, draw some stuff, and then really be around other kids. So when it, if it's not reading time, then he doesn't really know what else to do. And uh, it's just such a shady situation. One of many versions of multiple shady situations that I'm just feel really fortunate not to have to make a decision on yeah. being be involved in. I'm yeah. with you 100% on that one. Go ahead. I also, I want to say like to like to what Cody was talking about in the inequity conversations, like, you know, I think I really struggle with these like nice white parents who have been hoarding their resources and decidedly sending their kid, decidedly um, self-segregating themselves based on where they live and where they send their kids to school, suddenly waking up and pretending to give a fuck about inequity in education in like predominantly brown and black schools because they want to be able to send their own kids in person. Right. It's like you didn't care about like if the brown and black schools were being closed systematically around your city. You didn't care, you know, if they didn't have the proper resources, but suddenly you care about their ability to like stay open. Like, no, because it's it's you know, it's it's going to negatively impact the community and it's and it's tough and it's horrible for those children. Like you never cared about those kids like this is about your own kids and the fact that like. Yeah, maybe your school, your white school that's fully funded and resourced and has been um, gerrymandered 
you know, through and through uh, can function safely, but it doesn't mean that that school can. And that is years and years of inequity that now you are just pretending to care about. Um, And I just feel like I've seen so many, like, quote, so many white liberals, dad, to use your term, singing that particular song. And it truly gets me so tight. Like, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so far from being educated enough to make a policy based decision, but one of the things I can't get past when I think about this issue in particular is how many diverse situations we have across the United States, across municipalities of all sizes, right? I mean, the the difference in situation between somebody who lives in Hyde Park in Chicago, uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, North Lawndale or Austin uh, or Englewood, that's, that's all. We're all, we're talking about one city. We're probably talking about public school system. We're talking about a, two multiple very diverse situations. And when you take that from the, the count, the city to the county, to the state, to the region, to the country, there's just a need for so many diverse solutions, but it's tough to trust people to make the right decisions because it's tough to trust the information coming out about what decisions to make. It's tough to trust the science. There's just so many, so much noise, so many moving pieces that I frankly am exhausted Mm -hmm. trying to think about it. Yeah. Uh, and to, to boil it all down to what Dennis has been saying, we've been saying for a whole year, so many mixed messages mm-hmm. uh, coming out about life uh, in this pandemic. All right, let's close with a positive. We were talking about all this time and talking about it. Uh, ain't nobody checking for me. It's such a positive upbeat show. <laughs> and because of me and my questions, uh, we went down the negative path. So let's close with upbeat, positive vibrations to send out for the new year. Uh, that'll get everybody feeling good, just like if they were listening to the real episode of Ain't Nobody Checking For Me, which is why the mirror said, sorry, Benny, you're no longer number one. Uh, so uh, who's up? Who's up next on uh, Ain't Nobody Checking For Me? Who's your next guest? Uh, we got an app. Ep- a dropping Friday, Christmas Day, um, Christ's birthday. Happy birthday, him. Um, just <laughs> uh, with featuring um, Ryan Lehrman, Ben Yavaya, who is a um, hot Chicago artist uh, hitting the scene. He's a drummer who's now, um, I think, in the face of COVID, decided to uh, break out and become a solo artist as well. So we sat down with him this week and... Yeah, he's he's a great guy. I had a great time talking to him. How about you, Cody? I did. Uh, I, I did. I would. Uh, I would. I would categorize him as a, a very positive, thirsty white ally. Yes, you know? he's very Whitney Young Magnet High School. Yes, but he didn't go to Whitney Young, ladies and gentlemen. No. Okay, he's not even no. from Chicago. No. Uh, it was funny because I had told Cody that he was the male version of me, and then a lot of ways that proved to be true, like throughout yeah, the interview. Absolutely. All right. And tell people how uh, they can uh, find the podcast and how they can subscribe to it and all that good stuff. 
Um, you can find the podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. That's on Apple Podcasts. That's on Spotify. It's called Ain't Nobody Checking For Me. We also have an Instagram. Um, so definitely, you know, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, that is Ain't Nobody Checking For Me pod. And you know what? What do you know? I just really want to get the exact language for your listeners, Dad. Um, yeah, so if you just kind of get on Instagram, you know, go ahead, click in that little look uh, search box and type in A-N-C-F-M pod. It will pop up and in our bio is our link tree. You click on that link tree. What do you know? Easy access to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, all the places you can listen to podcasts. So listen, subscribe. Uh it's a great time. All right. Any final words of wisdom, Cody, before we end the show and head off into uh, 2021? You know, yes, actually. Uh, I would say going into 2021, everybody, but uh, this is, uh, I've had a lot of friends, uh, especially other thirsty white allies, a lot of white friends call me up and say, Cody, oh my God, I didn't know about the stress and the anxiety of being a black man in America this year. Tell me, how are you doing? How can I be good? Uh, so going into 2021, where everybody... Wait a minute, time out. Where was the accent? It was a combination all, of all the... That was like a Greek mixed with uh, Italian. I think there was a Jewish guy in there somewhere. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all, it all encompassing. Uh, yeah. Attempted ally voice, and and to them, I would say just keep keep an eye on your intention, your communication, and your behavior. You know, and if one's positive, it'll get some positivity from the others, and we can all go forth uh, into the coughing twenties and have a great time. All right, that sounds like a great advice, and let's hope there's some vaccines that come out. I know I'll be the last on the list to get it. I told this to Ray. You know, I'm not a essential worker in any way. Cody, I'll be glad. I mean, you know, that's just some advantages of that because I'll see you know, what the impact is on the people, the first ones who get it. So we got to see where the hair comes in. Yes, we have to see where the hair comes in. I'll figure that out by in about 10 minutes. Anyway, Cody Wilkins, <laughs> Rachel Jarofsky, thank you very much. And uh, I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. <laughs>